Hi, I'm Keely Duncan, and you are listening to the Strong and Beautiful Women podcast, where strong and beautiful women share their stories. I want you to listen, be inspired, and believe in your own strength and beauty, because I believe we are all so strong, so beautiful, and so much more. This week's episode, I'm talking to Kathy Vaughn. She is a South African songwriter who also happens to be tennis friends with my mom. My mom highly suggested Kathy because she has so many cool stories, and after meeting and chatting with her, I could not agree more. There were just so many stories she could tell, but today we're just going to focus on a few of them, like moving here from South Africa, trying to make it as a singer-songwriter in Nashville, and battling breast cancer. I love listening to Kathy share her life experience, and I hope you will too. Also, stay tuned after the interview for a brief chit-chat and update with me about the podcast. Kathy, thank you so much for coming on. I'm so excited to meet you and get to talk to you and learn a little bit more about you. So thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to chat with you today. Yeah. And um, I don't know if you guys can pick up on it, but Kathy has a little bit of an accent and she is not from America originally. Kathy, will you tell us a little bit about that? Um, I know that's like, I just, that's kind of broad, but tell us about where your family moved from and how that came to be. How old were you when you guys moved to the States? Uh, I had just turned 24 when, okay. when we moved. So I had, I was born and raised in Johannesburg. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, the first I heard of my father winning the green card was when he won it. I didn't actually know that he'd entered or that there was such a thing. Yeah. But one of his friends told him about it. So he, um, he entered. And um, from what he tells me, he got a call in the middle of the night. And they said, you know, Mr. Von Brumson you've won the green card and you have a minute yes or no you there's a line of 200,000 people behind yeah. you what are the chances <laughs> you know at first i didn't believe that it was like that they pick a name out of the hat yeah my dad's a chemical engineer and so i thought well they probably saw that he's really educated and they need mm-hmm. maybe they need it i didn't believe that it was just purely name out of a hat, but apparently it was. Yeah, and for the people who might not know, will you explain a little bit what the green card lottery is? Sure. So there's a uh, worldwide green card lottery that Mm -hmm. you can enter. I I believe it's certain countries. Not Mm -hmm. Not every country you can apply from. Yeah. And from what I was told, the year that my dad applied, they were uh, favoring Africa. Okay. So I guess that like ups your chances. Maybe they were picking yeah. more people. Yeah, like a certain percentage or something. Percentage. Yeah, it was more from South Africa. So, um, so yeah, for me it was great timing. I had just finished my postgrad studies. So I did an undergrad in communications and psychology. And then I did like a, a year postgrad in advertising and brand management. Okay. So for me, it was like I'm going to have to start working and I'm kind of adventurous anyway. Uh-huh. So I was like, yeah, let's start working in the U.S., you know. Yeah. So when your dad comes to your family and says, hey, we've won, we're moving, you're totally on board with it. At the time, I was 20, actually. Yeah. So by, okay. from the time that we won to the time we actually moved, it took four years. Really? Yeah, because my brother was 15, so he fin- had to finish high school. And it just, it takes a lot to move countries. Yeah. My dad had to like sell his business, we had to sell the house, all the stuff. Yeah. 
So, so but I guess they grant you that time to say you have, or do, do they put Yeah, you have to, we have to come here and get some stamps in our passport to keep the green card like gotcha. active. Um, and then, you know, so when my dad won, my sister was actually 22, which means she wasn't a minor. Mm. So I was a minor, my brother was a minor, obviously my mom. We all got green cards automatically. My yeah. sister, maybe by the grace of God, probably, absolutely, uh, was actually traveling in the United States when he won. And so we told her to stay. Yeah. And get a job, get a visa. And so that's why we picked Atlanta, because that's where she settled for those four years. Wow, okay. Because, yeah, she wouldn't get one automatically. Otherwise, so. she would have come home, and then we would have left, and... She wouldn't have you, a way to come live. Yeah, so the only way for her to get a green card was either to get married, and um, she was like, well, if I, if I get married for love, that's great. <laughs> but, but I'm not just going to pick up... Not and- just going to pick up some dude. <laughs> yeah. And then my, it took seven years to get citizenship. So you have to live here for five years with your green card. Mm -hmm. And then after five years, you can apply for citizenship. Okay. And then it takes two years for you to get an interview. And so only once my dad, one of us became a citizen, whoever became a citizen first, can he then sponsor a sister. Mm. So that's why. Gotcha. Did you guys know that you wanted to become U.S. citizens? Or was it just something that you decided once you came over? Yeah. I mean, you know, I was 24. So I wasn't really... You didn't foresee yourself going back to South Africa? I had no idea. Yeah. You know, I just wasn't thinking... I didn't know what I was doing in my... I wasn't really thinking that far. I was just like, okay, cool. Let's let's go to the U.S. It it had gotten pretty pretty dangerous, pretty violent crime by Mm -hmm. that point. So that was, you know... Between, especially in the 90s, when the apartheid was, like, really mm. being dismantled. And uh, there was a lot of hate towards white people. Yeah. You know, understandably. So, right. by that time, there was just a lot of violent crimes. So, none of us were too <laughs> yeah. upset about the fact that we could be in a place where we didn't have burglar bars and, you know... Getting out of the house in South Africa was taking like 20 minutes because you'd like lock the gate and the electric gate and turn on the alarm and mm-hmm. just, yeah. all the safety procedures. And yeah. Stuff. Well, what are some of the differences between South Africa and here that you noticed right away or do you feel like they're pretty similar? It was really nice that obviously English speaking. Yeah. So that's super helpful. Yes. Driving on the right side here. Yeah. <laughs> That took a little getting used to. Yeah. Um, And then, gosh, I mean, it's just the little nuances that really make the difference. Mm -hmm. It's not huge. Like, Johannesburg is a major city. We have pretty much everything you have here. Right. But it's cultural. It's, um, it's you know, the food. But it's not a massive difference. So Mm -hmm. it's a very tricky thing because on the one hand, you're like, oh, I totally got this. But then, on the other hand, it's like, wow, you know, there are some things about Africa that I just really miss. Yeah. What were some of those things? I think the air is different. And then also really? just something about the... I know this sounds so cheesy, like a country song, but something about the sky is so blue. Mm-hmm. And the sound of the crickets 
and the smell of the air. The weather was amazing in Johannesburg, mm-hmm. like like San Diego. Oh yeah, like seventy five in the Year summer, round. no humidity. Yeah. You know, so. Um, so Atlanta's a little different than that. <laughs> a little different. It's just a really hard question to answer, and I always tell people, you'll get it if you go. Okay. Just it's kind of one of those things where it's like you have, you have to go and get the feel and like understand Africa. Yeah. Have you been back? Have you ever I taken a trip. I did go back in two thousand one and two thousand three. I guess I was feeling a little homesick. Yeah. And then I was like, wow, I only get two weeks vacation. It's really expensive. Mm-hmm. It's very far. Seventeen yeah. hour flight. And so, and I was like, I want to see other places. Yeah. So, yeah, I miss the seven weeks vacation that you get. Oh, yeah. Notice that just from having friends from different countries over the years, that they seem to get a lot more vacation time than, than we do, which doesn't seem quite fair. But Yeah. Maybe we'll get you. Maybe we'll get there. Maybe we'll get there. Yeah, I don't know. Hopes for the United States. Yeah. A lot of big things <laughs> and vacation time. Exactly. <laughs> oh, for sure. So at what point did you move from Atlanta to Nashville? I actually didn't. I So I'm the wanderer. I'm the middle child, the classic, okay. classic middle child. Just. <laughs> I'm a middle child too. <laughs> so I started my career in advertising uh, at an advertising agency and quickly moved into sales. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was working for a couple magazines and I decided I was going to go to Chicago in 2005 and take a job managing a couple territories for uh, Business Week Online. I wanted to do the online okay. advertising. Yeah. So I went up there. It was actually September, and it was so cold. I thought I was going to die. I didn't, I couldn't comprehend how people lived in that kind of cold. Yeah. <laughs> it was a cold I was not ready for. So, um, so I was so thankful when I got a call. From the Wall Street Journal, and they said, "Would you like to come back to Atlanta and join us and do advertising for our luxury category in the Southeast?" And I said, "Yes, please, immediately." Just, <laughs> I didn't even think, and so I came back. And then I was in Atlanta for another five years with the Journal, and then I got a call from actually a colleague in Chicago who had moved to New York, and she said. Um, why don't you come to New York for a couple of years? We'll train you. This was Electronic Arts, the, the video game company. Okay. We'll train you for two years, and then we'll you know, send you back to Atlanta, and you can work in the Southeast again. And I was 32 at the time, and I thought, wow, what a great opportunity to live in New York City. I'm still yeah. single, so why not? Yeah. So off I went, and that was 2000, end of 2008, 2009. So when I got there, I actually had another plan in mind, which is very typical of me. I had <laughs> been writing music, original music, for a year at that point. Mm-hmm. So I thought, well, why don't I go to New York, and I'm going to work like crazy and save all this money, and I'm going to go to Nashville yeah. and retire so you know how they say when you make plans god laughs yep yeah (laughs) so i get to new york the economy tanks a new manager comes in above my friend 
and the whole thing goes south. I lose my job. I lose my savings. And this is six months later. Yeah. So I remember walking around New York. It was two weeks after I was let go. And I was just like, I'm so stressed. I, I was making more money than I'd ever made, but I was so miserable. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I just want to play my guitar. Yeah. I was like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to cash out. And I'm just going to go to Nashville and live my dream. Like, why not? Like, yeah. I've been working for 10 years. Now is the time. Mm-hmm. So I did. And I didn't really tell my family my plan exactly because I knew they would just be freaking out. Like, nobody goes to Nashville to live their dream when they've been writing music for a year. Yeah. You know, so I did. I cashed up my 401k. I bought a little car and arrived in Nashville. Didn't know anyone. And for a whole year, I wrote songs, played out, and I went to audio engineering school. Yeah. And I gave myself a year to write a hit song. And once again, Kathy Vaughn was the most crazy dreams and expectations. (laughs) It's good, though. I got here and was like, I spent all my money. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Did not write anything close to a hit song uh but i wouldn't i wouldn't trade that year for the world no yeah and was it hard when you realized like there are so many people in nashville that are doing that exact same thing that are trying to write trying to make music you you know a lot of people are here trying to do that was that intimidating to you or did you feel like okay i'm I'm here i'm in it like what's your mindset like yeah i was so singular focused and i was so green I I just I think it really helped me that I was so um, ignorant, yeah, to the music industry, to everything. I mean, I didn't even know how to read read music. I just yeah, kind of had taught myself how to play guitar and started writing music. So, um, what I liked about Nashville was that it's it's a collaborative musical town. Mm-hmm. You know, when I was in Atlanta, New York, um, it's an artist town. People have their image. They're very cool everyone's trying to make it but here um people want to write together yeah they want to they want to bring the collective talent because most hit songs are not written by one person mm-hmm. right so um i was here to learn i was like i want to learn and and there's like any other business there's a hierarchy like you you come in and you had the class of i was the class of 2010 you know met when I was out singing and performing, I would hear other songwriters and say, oh my gosh, I need to write with that person. Mm -hmm. That fits my style. And so it goes, you know. Yeah. So, uh, it was was a great time. Yeah. Well, I think you're right. I think it probably did help just to come in and not really know how things work. Otherwise, you might have talked yourself out of it. It It took absolute tunnel vision to mm-hmm. to execute because the more noise you have and the more people who have very logical life plan do this do that yeah I mean the chances are very slim yeah I always think that and I don't know how much you know about like the blogging and com- uh, Comcast podcast community um, but it's growing rapidly and it's easy to think okay, like, why? Like, why this? But really, I've just really taken on this new mindset that there's room for everybody at the table. And if it seems like a little crowded, then we just need a bigger table. Because I think everybody has something to bring to the table. Everybody has something to offer. And their unique set of skills and views and values that all kind of come together. And, you know, 
my friend that's a songwriter musician she told me once she was like you know nobody needs me to make more music but I feel like it's important and I love it and so that's why I do it <laughs> and so I think you know I think it's important to keep that mindset of we've all got something to offer even if it does seem like everybody in this town is trying to do something in the music industry yeah I just had to believe in what I was doing you know, and I just I had so much passion for it. I really recognize now the difference between a passion and talent. You know, mm-hmm. and they say, you know, how they say with athletes, it's like eighty percent passion and twenty percent talent. Like and that. I understand that now because uh, when I when I was little and growing up in South Africa, I played every sport. I'm just naturally very athletic. I'm yeah. a small petite person and. I uh, have really good hand-eye coordination, so I play a lot of tennis. I was a gymnast and swimming and running, you name it. That that comes really easily to me. Mm-hmm. And I feel like if I had a real passion for one of those sports, I could have been a pro athlete. Yeah. But with music, it's completely the opposite. I could basically call myself a hack. I've had no professional training. I barely read music, but my passion for it is just overwhelming mm-hmm. and I've done so much more in a short period of time with music because of the passion and yeah. that's what keeps it and it's truly a love hate relationship because there are days where I'm like you're not giving back to me mm-hmm. like I'm pouring working so and pouring my heart out in these songs and I'd be lying if I said I didn't want some recognition for oh, the work for sure you're working so hard you know and it's I could say it's a hobby because that way if I don't make it then it's just a hobby yeah but that's kind of not true yeah. at all like You're discrediting yourself a little bit if you call it a hobby exactly yeah. I, I would but I think um, uh, my saying for the music industry is the only difference between me and the next songwriter is whoever quits first yeah yeah no that's totally true and people don't in general when they hear a song on the radio they don't know what all goes into that song and how much goes into it and what a process it is and even just the amount of time it can take sometimes to write the song and get it together and get it produced and recorded and then get it out there to radio it's a lot there's a whole lot that goes into it so yeah you deserve (laughs) you deserve to be recognized for the hard work I can understand why you'd want that it's funny you say that because I remember when I first started writing and then I was recording with my friend uh, Will Hensley I was mortified that it took so long Mm -hmm. I'd submit something to him and be like what do you mean five months or two what I'd worked in the corporate world like tomorrow yeah (laughs) and I realized really quickly that's that's not how that works (laughs) yeah do you feel like it was a little bit of like a lesson in patience because we we definitely live in a need it now like world we have everything at the access like our fingertips yeah, it's just a totally different world, and actually it's very complex, and it's probably one of the the most complex business models that I've ever learned, because there's so many pieces that go with it. Mm-hmm. It's not just, you know, I was selling a newspaper, and I would I do everything about that newspaper. Yeah. You know, in music, it's not only is it the recording side, it's the publishing side, it's the licensing side, it's the, it's the download side, the streaming revenue, the... You know, mm-hmm. the, the radio revenue. So, yeah, it's a lot. 
When you go to write a song or you're sitting down with a person to collaborate on a song, do you have like, do you start with words or phrases or do you go in and kind of have a melody in your head or how does it, is it different every time? I mean, I like to call myself a melody person uh-huh. and I usually, um, something will trigger a melody, you know, and some, mm-hmm. sometimes I don't have one for months and then mm-hmm. all of a sudden I'll have like three or four. Yeah. Um, and then sometimes the words kind of go directly and pretty quickly with that melody because the melody kind of sets the tone for the mood of the song. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've gotten a lot better at working much harder at my song at my songs. Mm-hmm. Uh, at first, it was just all emotion, and it was just—it's like taking the whole inside of your being and putting it on paper. Mm-hmm. And and now the process has evolved to, you know, this is a really good melody. Let me really chew on what I want to say mm-hmm. with the song instead of just it coming out and me being like, "Oh my gosh, I wrote a song. Let me put it out there." Yeah. So would you say melodies just like kind of come in your head or, cause I'm not musically like talented at all. And so I think it's just always interesting to me to hear, do they, does it just kind of like come to you or is it like you'll hear like one thing and kind of go like, Oh, well that would sound good if it went like this or. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's totally, um, amazing to me because, you know, I was 28 when I first bought my first guitar and I was just so happy to be, be uh, playing music and learning how to play other people's songs. Yeah. And then when, when I got to like 32, it was only then that I was really like, man, I really want to try and write a song. Mm-hmm. So I went out and because I'm so left mind trained, I mm-hmm. bought all these books. And I was like, I'm, it's going to take years, but I'm going to just do everything I can. And, you know, I went to church the, the day and that day and I remember praying for purpose. And I came home and it was like something shifted in my brain. I, it's really hard to, to explain, but... I could hear melody, mm-hmm. um, and it was very instant. It yeah. was just like a, it just happened. I don't know if my brain like clicked into gear or what. But, mm-hmm. And that year, I felt like I was going crazy because I was terrified that I was going to lose it. Yeah, I would if I heard it. I had to write it and record it and stay up all night and all you know that craziness. Now it's like. I hear a melody, I record it into my phone. Yeah. A little um, voice memo. Yeah. So I don't forget. Yeah. And then when I go to a co write, I pull it out and I work on the song and, you know, I'm not as. Uh, yeah. You're like, actually, I had this in my back pocket. <laughs> like, I yeah. Had this in my head. So great that we have modern technology because it is so. When you Even when you're writing a song, it's so easy to lose melodies when you're writing it. Yeah. Because so you've got to keep. Yeah, keep playing it over and over and keep it in your head. Yeah. No, that's so good. I just, that's always so interesting to me living in Nashville and knowing several people, you know, who write or sing or do whatever. (laughs) And there's so many different, you know, jobs in the music industry. And I'm just like, tell me more because I, (laughs) you know, I don't know that much. But that's very cool. And um, do you still, you know, I I think I know the answer is you still write music now yeah and you do you go to co-writes and stuff still now I do it's it's not my primary source of income thank god because if it was I would I would be living under a bridge because well it's hard to make it like just off it takes a long time Mm -hmm. you know and and you you just have to keep at it if you love it you will Mm -hmm. Uh, but yeah I do still co-write I've got select people that I write with yeah um, that I'm like really comfortable with and um 
I'm kind of writing a little bit on my own again. Yeah. You know, so there's that. But whenever the inspiration hits, yeah. I, I am writing. Just when I think I'm never going to write again. Something will hit. It's a new song. Yeah. And do you feel like that's how you... Because, like, for me, lighting, liking to, like, blog and write, I feel like that's how I deal with whatever I'm going through or emotions or whatever. I have, like, sit down and journal or write. So for you, is it putting it into songs? Absolutely. It. For me, it's taking something bad and making it something good. Yeah. You know, like if you're going through a bad time, but you end up writing a really good song about it, it's like, it's almost like you're, you're, you're just like sticking it to the bad time and be like, okay, cool, but I wrote this really good song about it. (laughs) Yeah. But I turned it into something good. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. There's something about creating something out of nothing and like the... It's like, it's like a baby. It's like a, you birth it into the world. You know, yes, you know? exactly. No, that's so funny. And I like that you said that it came to you in church when you like first started, like you feel like you heard melodies and stuff, because I feel like that's when I, it, it'll either be like a scripture or a word or a phrase that I could pluck out of like an entire sermon. And then I like focus on that and think about like a blog post or how it relates to my life or how it relates to women that are my age. And I sit there and Brad's like, are you paying attention? I'm like, yes, I've just, I've got to write it down in my journal before I forget because I'm running with this. And I don't know, there's, I think it's something about being in church. It kind of like blocks out everything else that's going on in the world and all the excess noise. And also, I think we like, we talk about God being a, you know, a peacemaker and ruler and master and leader and father and all of these things, but he's also creator and he himself is very creative. And so it's almost, I think, I think I heard this on Oprah's podcast, actually, you know, it's an expression of like worship almost when we can be creative too, like God is creative. And I feel that way too. Like when you can do any creative process and you're making something, um, it's like a very spiritual connection. I would have to say 100% that it, it definitely felt like a gift from God because I prayed for purpose and there was the day I wrote my first song and I just feel like God really knows what you need. Oh, yeah. I tend to look at my life very linear because I'm human. <laughs> I look back and I try to make sense of my life. And I go, well, that happened because that happened and that happened and I just look, you know, linear. Mm-hmm. But God is working in His ways that... We don't understand, mm-hmm. but even when I try to make sense of what he's doing in my life, it makes sense. I'm like, oh yeah, of course he would give me music because mm-hmm. I'm very, uh, I, I needed that. Right. Because I needed to express my emotions and he, he just knew what I needed. Yeah. I think that's always really cool to think about. It's like, oh, even when we don't, or we're trying to figure out what we're doing or what we need, like his plan and his ways are all like woven within each other and not yeah because when I look back and think about oh well maybe this happened because of this yeah and it's like well no like oh this was actually preparing me for this next thing and that's always really cool so was it two years ago now or three years ago that you were diagnosed with breast cancer it was almost exactly two years ago so it was June 6, 2016. 666. Oh, man. And I'm just sucks. saying. Okay? It, it just sucks. I'm like, really? <laughs> um, 
it's so super random though. I was I was literally lying lying in bed with my Mac on my lap and watching probably Netflix something. Mm-hmm. And out of the blue, one of my I have two cats. I'm that girl. One of my cats <laughs> jumped up from the floor onto my chest, mm. and he'd never done that before. And it didn't hurt or anything, but I just I remember putting my hand down and. I felt I felt a lump. Wow. And I remember thinking, oh, bleep, bleep, bleep. Yeah. This is not good. Yeah. And I kind of knew. You should do right away. I did. I'd had a little scare five years earlier. Mm-hmm. And it was, just ended up being like a little cyst, pocket full of blood. Yeah. But it felt very much like a pee. It had mm-hmm. a very defined edge. And I remember it really freaked me out, but the doctors were all like, no, it's, it's, I promise you, it's, it's a blood filled cyst. Like, we can see it, we did the pictures, everything. And they said, if you want us to do a biopsy, we can, but uh, they, they were just so certain. And this experience was completely different. Um, it was much bigger, and I went in to see my gynecologist the next day, and she wasn't available, but the nurse was there. And I could just kind of tell by her demeanor. Mm-hmm. She was like, oh, we're going to send you to the breast center for your mammogram and all that. And when I got there, they're just very subdued, quiet, serious faces. Mm. I was like, this is not good. Yeah. So, but when I did get the news, even though I knew, nothing prepares you for that. Right. And yeah. I was at work in a conference room when I took the phone call. Mm. And I immediately just, it's like the shock of being in an accident, immediately just like bawling, you right. know? Yeah. And so I call my best friend. I'm like, all I want to do is call my mom. But it's going to hurt her so much. I didn't want to, I needed her, but I didn't want to tell her. Yeah, yeah. Because I knew it was going to really mm-hmm. ruin her day. Yeah. And everyone in my family. Yeah. You know? Even though it's happening to you. It's happening to me, but it's like. But you're like, I don't want to have to tell them I that. I want to tell my mom this. You know, and she was amazing. She was exactly what a mom should be. She was just mm-hmm. so, like, like my whole family was just so rock steady the whole time. They never showed me their, like, fear or in any of the, Whatever they were going through, they kept it, and they were very strong for me. Yeah, and so you didn't really ever see their worry or anything. That's great for them to be. I would go back to Atlanta every now and then and see people and they would say, oh, your sister was really worried about you or, you know, your, your brother left work that day. Or they would tell me. Mm-hmm. But it's not like they called me and were like, wow, I'm having a really bad time because of you, you know. Yeah. So. And so then you end up going for treatments. How long did you do that? Um, I ended up opting. I chose to have the double mastectomy. Yeah. You know, because I just turned 40 and I just didn't want to have to worry about yeah. mammograms every three months. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that, with the reconstruction, was the first surgery. And then I had uh, five months of chemo. Mm-hmm. And honestly, I wouldn't wish chemo on anyone except Satan himself. Yeah. Even bad. though I fared very well. They've, they've got great drugs now, so I wasn't throwing up all the time. But you do feel really bad. Yeah. Yeah. You can't do anything, really. Yeah. I remember my aunt saying the same thing. She would just kind of lay around. And just hurt. She was in a lot of pain. I don't know um, if you were in a lot of pain. But she just kind of felt like, and bored. Like, well, what do I do? <laughs> like, I, 
Yeah, I made the mistake. I mean, I, I'm just one of those people. I've lived alone for a long time. I've been single since I've been pretty much in Nashville. Mm-hmm. I ch- chose to be that way because relationships for me were clearly not working, so I need to take a break. Yeah. But I'm just very busy, like, flittering about. You know, I'm playing tennis, and I'm playing music, and I'm going to work. So home for me is a place to go and sleep, recharge, and then go back out and do fabulous things. Yeah, not you know? a place to stay. <laughs> and, and, you know, but when I am there, I'm enjoying it because I'm always so busy. Right, right. So I was like, no, I got this. Because you know how, like, when you're sick, you just want to be home. Yeah. But after five months, I literally felt like I was just, like, losing my mind, watching the walls. I'd watched everything on Netflix. Yeah. <laughs> You've seen it all. Yeah. So I ended up having, you know, another the reconstruction surgery mm-hmm. takes place after the chemo. And then, mm-hmm. and then I had to have a full hysterectomy, which was pretty heartbreaking because I've never had children yeah and I even though I'm you know 42 now but I still thought you know I might still it's amazing how much you want something when somebody takes the choice away from you right yeah that's a good point I was like dang it what if I do want a baby yeah yeah anyway at that point you kind of got to choose you want to live yeah yeah that's a difficult choice to make when yeah that could be up in the air or a choice in the future but so you weren't in a lot of pain you're laying here around tell okay just out of curiosity what was your favorite thing you watched on netflix <laughs> give us a good recommendation um I'm, I'm, i was just that person i was on my bike the peloton bike i, I talked my dad into getting me a peloton <laughs> and it was the best thing i ever did literally it saved my sanity so i would go to chemo and come back and just yeah promised the nurses I would just pedal very very lightly because chemo does hurt your heart so you have to be pretty careful but you know it gives you those endorphins Mm -hmm. I I mean I watched everything Stranger Things yeah it's a good one um a lot of crime Mm -hmm. I like the British shows okay Sherlock Holmes yes that's a good one uh everything everything (laughs) just everything I probably watched Downton Abbey again start to finish yeah oh Highlander Highlander, you know, with this hot Scottish guy mm, about I think the woman, about the woman who goes back in time. I haven't, I haven't seen that one. Yeah, it's that's pretty, good. It's pretty racy on my list. Oh, well, I don't <laughs> recommend watching the first episode with your parents. It's, it's kind of like, oh, this is embarrassing. <laughs> did that happen to you? Yes, it did. <laughs> <laughs> that's so funny. Yeah. So, what would you do on those hard days where, you know, maybe you had gone to chemo or? Was, like, Netflix your best friend, or did you have any other ways of, like, coping or just, like, dealing with it? It's funny. I I thought I would be so creative during that time. I thought, wow, I'm going to have, like, all this time off, in quotations. I'm using quotations. (laughs) Um, But I really didn't have any time to do anything other than focus on getting through each day. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, because I I didn't... You don't know, like, it's just... Every day brings a new challenge, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, they, the first four treatments I had was something called the Red Devil, which is, it's mm-hmm. adromycin cytoxin, and the reason they call it Red Devil is because they come in, like, in the hazmat yeah. and, like, administer the stuff. It is so Toxic. potent, and I had what's called dose dense, so you're supposed to have it every three weeks, but I had it every two weeks. Mm. I'll tell you what. 
there were days where I told my sister, and I wrote, I had a little blog, and I wrote about like day one, day two, day three, day four, you know, day one, mm-hmm. don't really remember because I'm so drugged up, day two, feeling all right, day three, everything's wearing off, the chemo's kicking in, um, and I, I remember I would walk around the block a lot, that helped, and I would talk on the phone, so I talked on the phone a lot, mm-hmm. walk around the block, I didn't have the bike at that time. But I do remember telling my sister, I said, Daddy, I'm going to call you on day four and five and six. And I'm going to tell you that I'm going to quit, that I don't want to do this, that this is the worst thing that's ever happened to me. Like, I don't even care if I die at this point. Like, I'm going to tell, I'm like, I'm going to tell you I'm going to jump off the cliff and you're just going to say, okay, no worries. Like, that's what you need to do. Because by day seven, I'm going to call you and be like, okay. I can do this. Yeah. You know, yeah. so I had to, like, get them ready. Yeah. But I, I also had to, t- like, I have to say the things mm-hmm. that I'm feeling. I can't filter it all. Yeah. Just because it's going to make you feel bad. Like, I've got to tell someone. Right. Right. You know. Yeah. And, and I had amazing, amazing support. So your mom, Vicky, and everyone, all my tennis friends, I had dinner, like, every night for 45 days after my first surgery. Wow. During chemo, it was the most beautiful thing. Like, all these angels would come. Like, people would come and, like, drop stuff off outside my door. I'd walk out. There's my Evian because I'm completely addicted to Evian. It's the only water I could drink. Plug for Evian. I love you. Thank this you. This is not an ad, but we love Evian. We love Evian. I spent a lot of money on Evian. And, and just, like, I just saw the very, very best in humankind. Mm-hmm. Seriously. People yeah. just want to help. And I think if I hadn't have been a Christian, I may have been proud and been like, no, I can do this. But I know that that, that robs people. Yeah. You know, I was like, yes, please help me. Yes, please come to my doctor's appointments yeah. with me. Please. Like, yeah, and there's strength in admitting that you need that. There's And laying that down and saying, oh, I do, I do need help. I do need, you know, somebody to come sit with me. I need food for tonight. You know, I'm too tired to cook. There's, there's, um, strengthen not doing it on your own which um i guess we can go ahead and like segue into it that's the name of your new song are we calling it new? yeah i don't know how it's, it's very it, it's new. new to me but i it's didn't know how long new. it took I, to write I, I released it very timely on my second um last or this past week right this past week on the sixth um it's called i didn't do it on my own and i wanted to make it shorter but on my own sounded very like oh yeah woe is me I didn't do it. Sounded like I did something bad. Like it just—it had to be. I didn't do it on my own. Yeah. And I actually ended up repurposing the video of when we shaved my head oh, wow. because it was just perfect for the lyrics. But I really did slave over. I mean, I had co-writers. They helped me. We had a co-write, and we the the choruses came out really easy. Yeah. But the verses, I really. I didn't want it to be like, oh, why is me? Yeah, I've got cancer. Please feel sorry for me. But I didn't want it to be like, oh, everything's great. And I'm Christian, so everything's fine. Because right. it wasn't. Right. So it had to be like a... Well, you have to be truthful about, you know... Real. Yeah. You have to be... You have to say when things are not okay and when, you know... And I think, like you mentioned earlier, taking something bad or taking something... Making something out of nothing, but making it something good. 
And um, we'll put a link in the show notes below to the song. Is the video available for people to watch? Is yeah, it on, uh, actually, like- randomly. So last week I had my one and a half minutes of fame. Okay. <laughs> because I posted the lyric video and I made sure that I posted it on the day that it was available on the digital distribution platforms. Uh-huh. Because you you never know in the music industry. I've been doing this for 10 years now. You don't know if it is going to do something. And then it's such an, I want it now. Right. So if somebody sees the video and says, hey, I like that song, they need to be able to go to iTunes, download it. Right. You know, you got to right. capture that. So anyway, so I posted it and one of my friends submitted it to a TV show called Right This Minute, which is kind of like a TMZ. Okay. But they, there's like a panel, there's four of them and they take videos that they think are going to go viral and they analyze them and kind of tell the story mm-hmm. so on thursday it's like next day it was on the oh. it was on tv and like all the my mom saw it in atlanta oh wow i was like woohoo this is amazing and i was like <laughs> but it's not gone viral yet yeah <laughs> You're like but what, come on well, well, come on tea yeah, no, we can definitely link it. And so that so, was that was really cool. We've got a small community. Well, not that small. We got a, we've got a nice little community behind this podcast. So hey. maybe we can help you out. <laughs> Thanks. Well, you know, whenever it's mean to do um, with music, I feel like it's going to go where it needs to. Yeah, and the people who are supposed to see it and hear it will hear it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's definitely a lot about timing as well, and just who sees it and who hears it and all of that. So you felt like it was the next right song for you because you wanted to take all your emotions and feelings from cancer into... Yeah, I did not go into that co-write that day um, planning to write that song. I I had a totally different melody and um, words. I had words that I wanted to use and I wanted to actually write it... um, I remember really clearly, I wanted to, like, where'd you get that grace? Or it was like a very upbeat like but then it just it just all came together and I guess I needed to I guess I needed to write it yeah yeah well I think sometimes with writing and with music it's kind of in you and you might not have even known but then it just kind of has to come out Mm -hmm. which is something that's really cool and And, yeah the production's very upbeat it's almost EDM it's very EDM it's like pop dance because it's kind of dancey yeah so I was like if you want to go find a really sad song about cancer you can find it yeah and I was like this is not about that this is like thank you to everyone who helped me Uh, I'm celebrating that I'm still here whatever Mm -hmm. God's plan is you know my mom my mom who is, she is, she's the one who, you know, took us to church when we were little and stuff. And, you know, obviously my mom was praying for healing the whole time and yeah. stuff. But I had to, I did at one point say to my mom, I, I am going to pray for healing. Mm-hmm. But I said, that's not what we promised. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so I don't want you to be mad with God if I'm not, because that's not necessarily, a, he didn't promise us healing. Yeah. No, you're, you, well, yeah, not here on earth. He didn't. No and, one's getting out of here. Now. Yeah, <laughs> that's a great point. No, I, I wrote um, a blog post about that not too long ago. Just, you know, Hebrews 11 talked about all these great people of faith, but then at the end it says, um, but then, then there were those that didn't get what was promised to them because God had something greater, you know, in heaven. And it's just, we're not. And I think people, you know, like... I want, I want babies someday, but I'm not promised that, you know, and you weren't promised healing, 
but you, you got it. I got it for good. now, and yeah, there must be a reason he's got me here, and yeah, you know, I focus on that, and I've had a few lives. I mean, I was kind of lucky to be here. I was almost taken out by a tractor trailer in 2010. Wow. Literally came at me and I, I don't even know. That's by the grace of God. I was yeah. in New York on 9-11 a couple blocks from the World Trade Center. Oh my gosh. So yeah, I'm just kind of like counting my lives and going like, well, you got me here, still here, so yeah, something that I'm supposed yeah. to be doing. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, if people want to go hear that song or any of your music, um, where can they find it? Uh, you can look on YouTube for um, I Didn't Do It On My Own. And then, um, or you can type in Kathy Vaughn. My channel should come mm-hmm. up. And then I then my website is kathyvaughn.com. So it's okay. so K-A-T-H-Y-V-O-N. Okay. Not Vaughn, like V-A-U-G-H-N. Yeah. Vaughn. Just V-O-N. V-O-N. Gotcha. Um, awesome. And then on iTunes, all my projects are, okay. are there. So, yeah, that would be awesome. Awesome. Well, um, thank you. And then, you know, to end it, I always ask everybody the two questions. So tell me what you think strong is or where do you see strength? I think strength is is knowing who you are. Mm-hmm. And being okay with being vulnerable and sharing your weaknesses. Yeah. I think that just takes so much strength. It's so easy for us to say everything's fine. Mm-hmm. But it actually takes just so much courage to be like, I'm not, I'm not good. Yeah. Help me, you know? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I love that. That's spot on. And um, what is beautiful? Where do you see beauty? I like beauty. I, I, I know this probably sounds super random, but like, I think I look the best when I've just worked out and my face is all red. Yeah. Because I just look full of life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't look painted. Yeah, like I do when I'm, you know. So, I think beautiful is people who are just kind. Yeah, yeah, definitely kind and uh, sweaty from working out. And have a good sense of humor. Don't take themselves too seriously. Yes, yeah, definitely beautiful. Kathy, again, thank you so much. I'm so glad that you and my mom have gotten to be good friends, and that She's awesome. she told me I should talk to you. This has been an awesome conversation, and. Um, can't wait for everybody to hear it. So thank, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Hey guys, it's Keely. Remember to stay tuned for a quick update coming up in a sec. Kathy is so cool. She has lived so much life. I just love her spirit. I'm so grateful for her coming on. Um, make sure you check out her new single, I Didn't Do It On My Own, and the video clip she talked about um, during the podcast on Right This Minute. But They're both linked in the notes below. So just to keep y'all updated... We are winding down our first season of the podcast and we'll be taking a little summer break and be back in full swing in the fall with season two. We'll have one more episode next week and then we'll break for a bit. So that being said, I just want to say thank you for an awesome first season. I have loved connecting with all of you and I'm working on more ways that we can connect as a community um, for the fall and I've already got some great guests lined up for the fall that I'm super excited about. Doing this podcast on my own, though, proves its own challenges, but seeing how many people we've reached, been able to encourage, and even just really help has made me all the more excited to dig in. Um, However, my circle is only so big, so I want you guys to help me look beyond my people and think about the women in your life. Do you know a strong and beautiful woman who would be perfect to share their story? 
Or have you been looking for a way to share your own story? Or maybe you know an awesome woman who would be willing to speak out about something she created um, that's just really spectacular or she started a really cool company. If any of this is making your brain just light up, I would love for you to reach out to me via my website or on the contact form or Instagram or DM or Facebook message, just whatever. There's multiple ways you can reach out. Um, I just want to know more strong and beautiful women and help them share their stories. And I won't be able to accept every single one, but I did want to give you all the opportunity to nominate people. And I just want to see who's out there, really. So thanks again for an awesome first run. I couldn't have asked for anything better, truly. I want you to remember you are strong and beautiful and so much more. Thanks, and have a great week.